Hello, hello, hello. Welcome, everybody, to the show. Thanks for tuning in. I always appreciate it. Know that I do. Know that I'm thinking about you as a listener and how I can provide the best content for you. If you have suggestions or questions, please put them on our social media. I love answering your questions, not just the questions that I think you guys want. I want to actually answer your questions. So always feel free to drop it in any comment section on any social media platform, and it will somehow find its way to this podcast. Today, we are talking about reward placement, how we can use the actual sequence of rewarding to alter behavior. Now, you've heard me say it before, where the click ends behavior, and it absolutely does. So when our dog does a behavior, whatever they're doing at the moment that we mark, either whether we're using a clicker or a whistle or any other conditioned reinforcer, whatever happens at that moment, it ends the entire routine, and we have to start over by presenting the cue. So what happens when we do that But our dog starts to pick up on other cues, which absolutely happen. The classic example is if you mark and reward for your dog being in a heel position or a loose leash walking position where they're to the left side or the right side, doesn't matter. If they're in that position and you go to reward them with your right hand, you have to reach across your body and give them a treat. Some dogs will start to cheat. They want to go in front of you. Now, if you're very clear about your expectations when you mark then your dog will stay in the right position. But sometimes we mess up. Sometimes our dog is super eager. They, they start leaning. They start cheating. Maybe they're twisting their back legs to kind of angle themselves towards the treat. Whatever it may be, there's different reward patterns that we can go through and we can specialize in to teach our dog to do something else relative to the reward. I know that might have sounded confusing. So I want you to think about it this way. If your dog is next to you, in a heel position, and they're in a sit. You have a couple of different options of rewarding them. The first one is the classic one. You mark, you take a treat out of your pouch, you turn to your left, and you give it to your dog. That's option number one. Option number two is to give them a treat on the outside of their body. So you would, with your left hand, reach over them so they have to turn their head to the left in order to get the reward. What does that do? It pushes their body because their head's going to the left, their right, their body goes to the right, that pushes them into you a little bit more. Okay, so they get rewarded for pushing into you, right? So now if they're a cheating kind of dog, they're going to start to anticipate leaning into you more. So they're going to lean in and they're going to get their reward. Now what happens if your dog is too far forward? Well, you can reward them behind you. So when you mark, you place the treat from your right hand behind your back, and they have to Take a step back, go behind your legs in order to get the reward. Another way you can do it, especially with a toy, is if you have a ball underneath your arm and you just drop it directly to your side. Then they'll start to stick to your side. So these are just a couple of examples of rewarding them in a particular position in four or five different ways. Why would you do this? One, it changes it up, keeps your dog interested. Number two, it helps you very, very meticulously reward them in a certain way. So again, if your dog is nudging forward too much and you want them to back up, you would reward them behind them. So they start to anticipate that and they'll actually back up. If you've never seen this before, it might be difficult to imagine, but I want you to think about a dog that loves fetch. Where does the excitement happen when you play fetch? Out there. 
right? When I throw the ball, it's all the way out there. So most dogs that love playing fetch will bark at the owner and will back up at the same time. They're backing up so they can get closer to the delivery of the reward. Really huge, right? And this is why indirect rewarding becomes really beneficial later on. And if you haven't learned about indirect rewarding, go back and listen to that podcast. We go over it. Essentially teaching your dog that you don't need to be right where the delivery of the reinforcement is. But in this case, we're actually using that to our advantage. The delivery of the reinforcement is the important part. Clearly, we're still marking for the behavior that we want. We're still delivering a high-value treat. But it's how we deliver the treat that is important. It's how we maneuver the situation in rewarding them in that particular situation. So if you have a dog that is jumping up on people, you could just think, okay, well, I'm going to mark and reward when the dog is down. Right? When all four paws are on the floor, I'm going to mark and reward. And then I'm going to give them the treat, and we're going to practice it again and again and again. What if, instead of just rewarding them with a treat with your hand, you marked and then tossed a treat on the floor? Then they start to think, okay, well, the treats are coming from the floor. So once I hear that mark, I'm going to immediately start looking down. And then I can actually mark and reward that. And I can build on that. See what I mean? So by rewarding in a particular spot, we're teaching them to go to that spot more frequently, and then we can reward that more frequently. If you're having a dog try to go onto a place, okay, or a bed, or in a crate, you can toss treats in there to incise them to go in, and then while they're in there, mark and reward for them being in there. This is a great way to build up a positive association. This is not a great way to teach your dog to go into something, but it is a good way to build an association that's positive with whatever you're doing. Let's say the crate. So you mark and reward for them existing in the crate longer and longer and longer. Separately, you teach them to go in the crate on command and come out of the crate on command. Which brings us to the next point. So instead of just rewarding them for being on the thing, you can also reward them away from the thing. So I want, let's say I'm practicing teaching my dog to go into their crate. Once they go in the crate, I'm going to mark, and I'm going to toss a treat away from them. This gets them out of the crate to go get the treat, and we already know that marking ends the behavior, so I'm not worried about rewarding them outside the crate. They rush out of the crate, they get their treat, and then I tell them to go back in the crate. They go back in, mark, now they come back out. Now you might be thinking is, okay, well, maybe the dog's going to start learning going in the crate and then coming out of the crate is the important part. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. That will happen. And if you're marking late, it'll happen more. Right? Because I want to mark as they move in. That's the behavior I want. Not them going in, stopping, mark, and then come out. That's wrong. That's too late. You have to mark for the movement into the crate. Because that's what we're working on. Right? Don't think about the whole behavior as one. If you think about the whole behavior as one you're going to get confused. Your dog's going to be confused and you're not going to see the progress that you want. Hey guys, I just want to take a moment to thank today's sponsor. The sponsor for today's episode is Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. First of all, it's free and there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will even distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. 
You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership, and it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. That's where this podcast was made, and maybe that'll be where your podcast will be made. Download the free Anchor app or go to Anchor FM to get started. Want in the amount of time that is expected. So you have to break it up. Okay, first I'm teaching my dog going into the crate, and I'm rewarding them by having them come out of the crate so that I can practice having them go in again. Or I'm rewarding my dog in the crate to build a positive association. There's different reasons for doing each one of these things, and you have to know what those reasons are, and you have to know why you're doing them. If you don't know why you're doing them, then your dog doesn't know why you're doing them, and you're just rewarding them haphazardly. Okay, you have to understand why you're rewarding, what you're rewarding. Right? If, I, if I just go into a training session thinking, oh, you know, we'll, we'll see what the dog does and I'll just kind of go from there. Okay, really good trainers can do that because they've done it so many times. Once the dog presents something, they know all the steps in their head. But it is so much easier to break it down and figure out how can I reward them in a way that's beneficial to the situation. Right? So... An old example was teaching um, a dog to bark at a suspect, police work. What they would do is they would hold a toy above the suspect's head, and because the dog wanted the toy, they would bark. Now, if the dog was too close to the suspect, they would toss the, the toy behind the dog, teaching them to back up over time. The alternative would be true if the dog was too far away. So it's this constant balancing act. Oh, well, the dog's too far. Okay, I'm going to drop the toy behind me or at my feet. Okay, and the dog has to come and get it. Or the dog's too close, I'm going to toss it behind. Same thing can be done with a recall. If your dog is recalling to you, and you notice that they get two to three feet away waiting for the treat because you always lean in to give them a treat, they're picking up on that subtle reward pattern. You could drop treats at your feet or toss a ball or treats behind you. Now they have to run through you in order to get it. Better yet still is to have them run through your legs to go do it as long as your balance is good and you're not going to fall over. Clearly, if you have a great day and you're only 5'6", it's probably not going to be a good deal. But point being, having them go through you to get rewarded is huge. Their mindset isn't on getting to you. It's actually getting to you and through you. So they might run faster, and then we can sharpen up having them stop at you and, and that kind of thing, right? So we're, we're compartmentalizing. Compartmentalizing. Yeah, that's the word compartmentalizing what we're working on and what we're focusing on in each session. You don't do all of these at once. Okay, you don't go, okay, well, I'm going to work on recall and I'm going to have my dog go from 100 feet away, run straight to me, sit perfectly in front of me. You do that. That's all fine and dandy. But now how do you break it apart and work on these subset behaviors? Well, my dog's got to stay still for 100 feet first. My dog's going to run at me, not just walk. My dog's got to stop in front of me, not go around me, not to the left, not to the right. So you have to teach all these things separately, and then you put them all together. Usually we think about one behavior as one thing, one item. But if you really want a strong behavior and you want it done very precisely, people who do competition work, they practice meticulously on one tiny little aspect. Because they want that aspect to be so crisp, so sharp. I was just watching a video the other day. I was absolutely mesmerized by it. The trainer took the time to teach the dog that when her feet were separated, it meant to stand. And when she brought her feet together, it told the dog to sit. I'm not exactly sure what competition they were working on, 
but she thought that was an important skill. When my feet are separated, stay standing. And she slowly reduced the gap so her feet were very subtly separated. And once she kind of clicked her heels, the dog would sit. That is very precise. Very, very precise. And then she rewarded regularly. Okay. I know we're talking about rewarding and now we're getting into <laughs> splitting up behaviors. I go on tangents. It happens. Okay. Now I want to tell you about um, a trainer that I believe is in Switzerland. He has a YouTube channel. I'll have to put it in the show notes of what the YouTube channel is. Maybe I'll just uh, put the link. And I love watching their videos. They're silent, most of them. So you just get the, the AM, ASMR of the clicking and the excitement of the dog and that kind of thing. They're great to fall asleep to at night. But he has multiple different reward patterns and multiple different conditioned reinforcers. Now, this is important. If you're going to be doing this competitively or full-time or you're really thinking about it, you should have different conditioned reinforcers for different things. Now, in these videos, they're doing a lot of scent work. So he'll send a dog out. They'll sniff on the wall. They'll indicate on a smell or an odor. They'll stop. They'll present a final response, a learned response, where they stop doing what they're doing. They stare directly at source. And this is where the magic happens. Okay. The handler has a bunch of different options. He could say, good, and toss a ball to source that rewards the dog at source. Awesome. That's number one. Number two, he can whistle and toss the ball to the side, which the dog knows means he can break his focus on the source, turn around, and he's going to find his ball. And the third one is just a regular marker, a clicker. He'll turn around and he'll get a treat directly from the handler. So what does this teach him? There's going to be situations where you get rewarded at source, indirectly, and then directly. So this handler is doing three different reward patterns, and he has three different conditioned reinforcers. This is huge, which means if you're going to be practicing, let's say, heel work, and you want your dog to be rewarded by you indirectly, and let's say behind your back because you, they're, they're constantly going in front. So you want to have a special conditioned reinforcer to tell them, okay, go behind. It would be exactly the same way you would teach a different conditioned reinforcer. So let's say your word's going to be behind. Just means the reward is behind me. So we're walking along, we're walking along. You might click, give them a treat randomly because we're working on a variable schedule, right? You would only do these types of rewarding if you have a variable schedule. So you're going about your business. You click, reward, click, reward. Then you say behind and you toss the ball behind you. Now they rush behind you, they get their ball, they go, ooh, great, awesome. Now they come back, you put the ball back in your pocket, you got your treats, maybe do a couple more direct rewarding, and then you do an indirect reward. So you might, instead of tossing it behind you, you might toss it to your side to get them to lean away from you, or you toss it to the other side so they have to go in front of you. Depends on exactly what you're working on, but utilizing these different reward patterns is huge, especially if you can do it right. If you do it wrong, then your dog gets confused and they don't know what's going on. Now, what I constantly see is owners who kind of alternate between how they're rewarding the dog. This isn't so important if you're just teaching sit or down or, or those kinds of things, but it is important depending on what you're teaching. Okay, If you're teaching something that is important or you're very sure that you want it a particular way, then it's important. But let's say you're just going to toss a treat on the floor 
and then you're going to give them a treat from your right hand, you're going to give them a treat from the left hand, and sometimes it's in between your legs, sometimes it's off to the side. Does it seem like a big deal? No. Can it be? Absolutely. For a dog that has a very low attention span, this can be very distracting. The reason it's distracting is because your dog doesn't know where to look after they hear the click. Okay. I'm going to use my favorite example when we're talking about conditioned reinforcers, and that is your phone. When your phone's on the table, you're having lunch, and it goes off, let's say you just get a text message, you know exactly where your phone is. You look over to it, you scroll down, you see the notification, you go, great, awesome, and you dismiss it and you go about having lunch. There's zero stress involved there. You've simply learned that looking at your phone is exactly where you need to be looking in order to get the information that was queued up by the conditioned reinforcer. Okay? So then what happens when you hear your phone, let's say it's ringing, you hear your phone and it's underneath a book or it's stuck in the couch, right? Let's say you lost your phone and now you're, you're trying to find it and so it's making an alarm sound. You have no idea where to look. The amount of stress that's involved, the amount of effort that's involved because you don't know where to look for, you're just looking everywhere. You finally found it, sure, and you get reinforced for it, but it's the same thing with our dog. If I'm consistently tossing the treat in the same spot, the same location, their expectation is, I heard the click, I'm going right there. I know exactly where I need to go. And that's why that handler in the YouTube video, I'm, I'm so unfortunate, I don't remember his name. I think it was SWDI, is the YouTube channel. I just don't know the gentleman's name. It's probably a Switzerland name, so I would probably butcher it anyway. My apologies to anyone who's Switzerland. Swiss? Anyone who's Swiss? Swe Swedish? Definitely different. Swedish or Sweden? Switzerland is... I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm going off on a tangent trying to think about Switzerland and Sweden. I need to visit those places, then I'll understand. I would love to visit Switzerland or Sweden. If anybody is a listener and you are from Switzerland or Sweden... Please message me on social media. Let me know. I'll, I'll try to come visit. I would love, absolutely love. I've never been out of the country besides Canada. I went canoeing through Canada. I would love to go to Switzerland or Sweden. Either or. Anyway, <laughs> side tangent aside, <laughs> what was I talking about? Oh, my goodness. So the YouTube video, okay, he was so precise about where he was delivering the reward that the dog knew exactly what the expectation was. He knew where he was going to get the treat or where he needed to go to get the ball. At no point did he turn around away from source and not know exactly where to go. Okay, I did believe, I do believe, not that I did believe, I, do, I don't differently believe now, I do still believe this, that he had another conditioned reinforcer and it meant that he was going to hold the toy out. But it could be the same as just giving a treat because it's looking back to the handler, right? There's direct rewarding. So it could be that. But you could also do a different conditioned reinforcer, meaning a toy, versus a treat okay it just creates a different level of excitement it creates a different uh, expectation right when they turn around they're not expecting Ooh, let me just mosey on over and get my treat they're expecting to run at you and get the tug toy or the ball or whatever it is so if you can control that you have a lot more control over the situation as a whole let's talk a little bit more about just regular companion dogs and, and what you might use this for we already talked about jumping you could do it for crate training we talked about crate training let's say your dog is reactive okay they're barking at other dogs they're barking at other people they're being overly crazy how might 
you use different reward signals, different conditioned reinforcers, different reward patterns to make it clear to your dog what the expectation is. Well, you could break it up. Let's break it up into three. First one is direct. I click, my dog turns around, they get a treat. Second one might be indirect. If your dog is reactive but not aggressive, meaning they're excited to see the other person, you could use a different conditioned reinforcer to tell them that what they just did is why they are allowed to go now play with the other dog. We did this for Tommy. Tommy loves people. If you have ever met Tommy and he has peed on you, I am sorry. He does not pee because he's shy. He pees because he's excited. And he used to take people down. Okay, We would be 20 feet from somebody. He would charge you. He would take you down. <laughs> I always felt so bad for everybody because they loved it. They were like, oh, my God, he's so sweet. Yeah, until he's taken out you know, five people today. <laughs> and so he was on campus when we were in college. And so he was seeing people everywhere. So clearly we had plenty of friends in the dog training community because we went to college who do be dog trainers. And so... We would say, hey, could you help us out with this? All I need you to do is stand 20 feet away. 20 feet. That, that was his, his minimum at the beginning. We would put Tommy into a sit, and then we would simply say, go say hi. That was a conditioned reinforcer to tell him he was allowed to go do something. Okay? But he had to work up until that point. He then went on to become a therapy dog, and he had no problem being calm around people. But we started working closer and closer to the person. So we alternated between a direct reward. He would turn back towards us. We would play a little game. Then we would do it again. And we would vary whether he got to say hi to the person or not. If he got to say hi to the person, he got so much more reinforced than just direct rewarding. And that's why we did it. Right? This is an indirect reward, something I cannot control or hold on to, but I control the access to. I would condition it to a click, mean turn back to me. We're going to play we're going to have treats we're going to do all the good stuff directly with me and then go say hi was you can now get the reward which is the person all we did then was shorten the distance to how much he had to focus before he was allowed to go say hi so if it was 20 feet to begin then it was 15 feet then it was 10 feet now then it was five feet and i don't think he ever got to the point where he could be but well yes he did because he was a therapy dog he could do it he just still wanted to say hi to everybody but he understood that when we were working, we were working, and that was the expectation. But, man, five feet was tough for him. <laughs> five feet was so tough because you were right there. He could look at you, and he knew you wanted to say hi, and it was, a, it was a struggle. But he was a good boy, and he still is a good boy. So he got saying hi to people. Now let's say your dog is aggressive. Okay. Well, you could still do the direct rewarding, and you could do different levels of direct rewarding. Okay, so we talked about different levels of reinforcements all the time. Wouldn't it be nice if you had a conditioned reinforcer for different levels of reinforcement? Okay, so what might this look like? This might be a clicker is your standard. You're just going to get a treat. You could say great or good as you're going to get a higher value treat. You could say bravo, meaning you're going to get all the fun in the world. You're going to get plenty of treats. You're going to get all this love because they did something exceptionally well, right? This is super clear to the dog when they do something good, great, and exceptionally well. This is super clear. And they go, ooh, well, I really like the exceptionally well, so I'm going to do that one again. Right? You could also do it in the reverse. 
and some people do this, where they condition punishers to mean different things. Okay, now we're talking more on the reward side, but you could do this with a punisher. Okay, so you could say, oops, which means what you're doing is wrong and I need you to stop moving completely. Just stop moving. I will come and grab you. Okay, you could say, nope, which means that wasn't correct. Try again. Or you could say no, which means what you are doing is unacceptable, but I don't need you to stop moving. I just need you to stop doing that thing. Okay, so your dog's running around the yard, you condition no, then you just say no, and they stop doing what they're doing. Oops would be, you're running away from me, and I need you to stop moving, maybe even sit, and I'm going to come up and I'm going to grab your collar. We can go about teaching those in another episode, although those are not how I would train my dogs. That's not how I prefer to train my dogs. I just want to show you that there are options out there and there are ways to do that. So let's say you were going to use an e-collar versus a correction collar. Okay, You might condition a sound to mean the e-collar is going to be used versus the leash. Why would this be important? It's clear communication. It just It gives the dog more information than simply the same thing meaning two things. Okay, if I were to say no, and they don't know whether they're going to get corrected with the e-collar or the regular collar, there's confusion. They don't know. I would much rather have my dog know. Of course, I'd much rather not have a dog on an e-collar or a corrective collar, but you know how I feel about that. Simply put, I want to present all the options to you so you can make informed decisions on your training. That is my goal, to give you enough information where you could critically think Is it necessary to do those things, or do I have all these other skills, all the other reward patterns and preference testing and variable schedules and indirect rewarding and desensitization? Could I use all these things and not have to do the corrective methods that everybody talks about? And you can, clearly, (laughs) right? Clearly, it's possible. If you can teach a dog to expect rewards in very specific ways, I mean, your dog already does it, right? You have uh, friends and family over. Where's your dog hanging out? The person who gives it treats. My sister, if you're listening to this, she used to give my first dog treats all the time when we were eating. And we knew she was doing it because that's where my dog hung out. (laughs) We knew she was giving her something. Either that or my sister's a very messy eater, and I don't think that's the case. (laughs) So it just... It builds on whatever is happening in that environment, and we can control that. So in that case, it was building on the fact that she was just rewarding more frequently than anybody else. So it just became habitual, and she would see my dog and go, ooh, all right, I'll give you a treat. So my dog was able to elicit this response out of her. We're just now tailoring it towards what our expectations are and what we want the dog to do in any given session. You want your dog to... Stay closer to you, reward them on the other side of you. So they have to go through you to get it. You want your dog further away from you, reward further away from you. You want your dog a little forward, a little back, right? If you're practicing uh, sits and downs, alternating positions, you might want your dog to be rewarded behind them so that they stop creeping forward. I know so many dogs, they want to get to the reward so bad. And depending on how they were taught to down, they will sit upright. They will keep their back legs where they are, and they will down forward. And then when they go to sit again, they pop their whole body up and tuck their butt underneath. 
And then they keep doing that. So it's kind of like a caterpillar, slowly moving closer and closer. And if you let a dog do that, you might have started out 100 feet, and now they're 20 feet in, <laughs> right? They're 80 feet away. They're not. You're not practicing the same distance. And it might be important in your scenario. It might not be. Okay, but you can control how they do the down. You can control how they do the sit. And you can control where you reward them. Most likely, if they're creeping forward, you're going to want to reward them behind themselves. So they have to consciously think about backing up instead of going forward. Listen, I want to thank you again for listening to today's podcast. We were talking about rewarding and how we can alter our dog's behavior by choosing particular places to reward them. I hope you found value out of it. I hope it wasn't confusing. If it was, please let me know. I'll do a more in-depth podcast or maybe even a YouTube video. Make sure you check us out on all social media platforms. Thank you again for listening, and I'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to the episode. If you think family or friends would benefit from what you heard today on Acknowledged Dogs, please share it with them. You can post it on Facebook. We are also on every social media platform, so make sure you tag us, Matador Canine. You can also head over to Matador Canine and schedule a free consultation to talk about coaching and reaching the goals with your dog and those problem behaviors. Reach the goals that you want and have the dog that always listens. Thank you.